Jar R. Martin novel, they get like the purple heart. Or the iron throne. Wah, wah, wah. That seems a good place to start. <laughs> um, hey everyone, it's Geeks with Kids, your now weekly conversational podcast about all things parenty and geeky. Sorry, I'm hosting, it's Spears, and we have our uh, now regular geek, James. Say hi, James. Hi, Thank James. you for having me. Hello. <laughs> and the joining regular. us. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, I thought, didn't you have like a big coronation on uh, last week's show? No, I think I was just filling in okay, but I'll take regular. Sure, that sounds cool. Chair's comfy. Oh, man. I just ruined the coronation. <laughs> I think, like, Aaron has made you, like, a crown and everything, and, like, a little scepter. Possibly. Uh, Include in Niner Liner Notes, Aaron to make crown and scepter. Um, And joining us is Brenna. Um, Say hi, Brenna. Hi, Brenna. Welcome to the Landos. I see what you did there. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so I guess, I don't know, by way of introduction, um, Brenna is known to me through the world of theater. We sort of met doing fringe theater like a bojillion years ago. Um, that was what, that was Von Zubin, yeah? Von Zubin? Yeah. Uh, 2004? Oh, that that sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking, yeah, somewhere in there. 2004 sounds about right. We were. Yeah. Young and stupid. Was about that time I, I thought I knew you earlier than that. You or was me? that when you? Yeah. Or Spears. Well, no, you, I went. No, Spears. You, I met later, but. Yeah, for sure. Well, I well, I met Aaron when I was an eight, when I was eighteen. Um, I won't say what year that was. Um, so yeah, James, I, I probably <laughs> never knew before. you. Okay. Before, before, yeah, significantly before. <laughs> cool. Um. So I guess the first thing we always ask our Landos on their inaugural flight um, is just sort of to give us a little bit of their... What's that? Did you bring the nachos? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the second flight once we've hooked them. Oh, right. Oh, no, but I guess um, we asked for parent cred and geek cred. Uh, what qualifies you, quote-unquote, to parent and or geek? So I guess uh, parent-wise... Um, you, um, you have two? Uh, well, I, yes, I have, uh, one nine-year-old son who I have managed to keep living, uh, Good qualification. So I, you know, I'm doing all right. He's still breathing. Uh, and I have a nine-year-old stepdaughter as well. So she is also still breathing. Go me. Oh, right there with you. I, I was solo with the kids for a long stretch of the day, and I totally empathize with the keep them aliveness of it. I'm pretty sure that's like number one on the job description is, you know, make sure they don't die. So your your goal, though, is self-sufficiency. When you can just say, go do something yourself, and then you don't have to worry. Well, you still worry, but you don't have to follow them around. That's when you know that you've made it. God, I'm having the opposite problem. Um, Clark is like, he's sort of four and a half and he thinks he can do everything. Like he will try to, he'll try to start the car, you know, like he'll try to like open doors and unlock things and 
open everything and fix his own meals and stuff. And it's cool. Like, it's great that he wants to, but... Uh, Four and a half is a little too young still. Yeah. See, that's what I tell him. And he gets, I don't know, he's been, he's been getting, he's like, no, I can do it. And it's like, no, no, leave, leave the knives to daddy, please. Well, as long as you, if you can make it to nine, then they'll start to actually do things on their own. Yeah, totally. Like the kids, you know, can cook simple meals now and dress themselves and do little chores around the house. So they're starting to be like small people. Useful members of society. Right on. Retain a job. Shovel the driveway. Oh man, the dream. That'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. We're in um, we're in a co- we're our house is in a like in a corner lot. So I've got like four sides of house to shovel. Oh man, that sucks. Yeah, get yeah, it started now. Snowblower. <laughs> I'm amenable to both of these solutions. It's worth the investment. Or find a neighbor that has one and feed him beer. That's what I do. That's a good solution, too. That's what I do. I have the neighbor moved in. He bought himself a snowblower. We share the same driveway. Here's a six-pack. Let me know when you run dry. I'll get another one. (laughs) Nice. You don't get them a whole lot all at once. You've got to keep them, you know, just keep them fed. Oh, gee. Brenna, do you want do you want to like give your kids uh, code names? Code names, oh man! Yeah, it's kind of uh, it's kind of I don't know it's kind of a thing, but I don't know how, how particularly about that. Let me think. What would be it? A... Okay, well I'm gonna call. Oh, I just I just ruined it. I just <laughs> ruined it right there. <laughs> uh, eight eight fourteen. It's cool. You can fix it. <laughs> We're gonna we'll call him Calvin because I think he would. Nice. Take that. Um, the other one, I don't know, I don't know. Well, Hobbes is, like, the default. Yeah, I don't... But that doesn't really describe their, like... The dynamic is not... No, I don't want to call her Susie either, because, you know, Calvin and Susie end up doing it at some point, I'm pretty sure. So that is also not acceptable to me. The Wonder Twins. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> when yeah. Zack Snyder gets around to making a Calvin and Hobbes movie Twisted Calvin and Susie are like are having sex and like Hobbes is like murdering people left and right have you read any of the Hobbes and Bacon stuff what no what so there's someone I can't remember the, the name of the guy who's doing it now but he's, he's picked it up and basically Calvin has grown up and he married Susie Ador- uh, Susie uh, Dorkins was that her last name yeah and uh, they have a son and or, sorry, a daughter, actually, I think, and her name is Bacon. So, <laughs> um, the, the new uh, the new cartoons are Hobbs and Bacon. Oh, cool. But it's not Watterson. This is like a fan. It's like... not Watterson, no. I'm not sure if it's, like, official or not, like, if it's been sanctioned, but they're pretty cute, actually. They're Aww. sort of... Uh, and bacon. This wouldn't be the same artist who's responsible for the, like, the Kylo, the, like, young Kylo Ren... Uh, comics. There's this dude who's doing like one panel Calvin and Hobbes style comics, but instead of Calvin, he's got like a little Kylo Ren from uh, The Force Awakens. Is that, that Andrew him. Cook? Um, I don't know. I see, they come up in my Facebook feed every so often, and I chuckle and mean to look into it and don't. Well, better get yeah, on those. Are really good. Those are really good. Yeah. Oh god, they're 
Yeah, I mean, the first one I remember noticing is just, like, a standard, like, Calvin, like, all the snowmen are dismembered kind of thing. Yeah. But then instead of Calvin, it's, like, Kylo, little Kylo Ren, and he's holding his little lightsaber. And, um, I think, like, and Han, who's, like, Calvin's dad, is talking to Leia, who is, like, Calvin's mom, and it's like, he gets it from your side of the family. (laughs) (laughs) See, so many levels. So many levels. Cool. So we've established your parenting cred and then some. Um, what about your what about your geek cred? Man, I feel like if you have to explain your cred, you don't really have any cred at all. <laughs> um, well, I'm. <laughs> doesn't work in radio though. <laughs> Where do we go from here? Um, boy. Uh, well, there's a clue. Yeah. Right. All things Joss. Um, D and D from. Way back when, uh, Shadowrun Rifts. Nice. Wayson Hickman. Now, just through Dragonlance or beyond Dragonlance? Uh, mostly Dragonlance. Um. No, that's legit. I, th- I honestly, I think the Dragonlance stuff is their strongest. But I fell down that rabbit hole like quite, quite far. Which, uh, which other ones are you referring to? Oh, the um, the Deathgate cycle. I read like top to bottom. Uh, the Dark Sword trilogy. Oh, I read a little Dark Sword. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it, it was neat. Like the the first two books were fairly, you know, fairly standard tropey, like more of the same kind of stuff. Um, but without the, um, I guess it the way that it handled magic was very different than the way D and D handled it. Mm-hmm. And um, in that story, as I remember, like, using magic was hereditary. And it was kind of like an X-Men thing where the magic users had taken over this medieval fantasy world and everyone who wasn't a magic user was like a freak and an outcast. Yep. Um, And it centers around this, like, I don't know, this, like, Conan-y kind of character who invents a sword that can cut magic. And so it becomes a bit of a, I don't know. It becomes a bit of a, like, a slashy, murdery thing. But the the third book, like, comes completely out of left field. Um, you take this... The first two books are all fairly standard, you know, kind of build-ups along that conflict. And then in the last book, dudes with tanks and laser guns start showing up. Huh. And it turns out that this whole magical world is almost like this sort of this little bubble within the greater diaspora of humanity who spread out after earth. I don't know, something bad happened. Um, and outside of this bubble, they've been getting all star Trekky and inventing high technology. Whereas within this bubble, they developed magically and with absolutely no preamble in the third book, the two sides meet and immediately go to war. Because of reasons. Just yeah, there they were good. There were good reasons, uh, but I just can't remember what they were. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, clearly it really made an impact on you. <laughs> yeah, like like I said, next to Dragonlance, it it all it all seemed to to pale very much, which is kind of unfortunate for Wes and Hickman. You know what? With their their seminal work being work for hire and all that, but oh, Deathgate was really good. The Deathgate cycle was really really good on its own merits. Sweet. Yeah. Anyway, I I interrupted and tangented. Uh, so you hit D and D, started doing the uh, the nerdy uh, novel authors, uh, strain to sci fi at all. 
not as much into sci-fi. I mean, I, I played a lot of rifts, which could be considered sci-fi, I guess, but my geekery tends to stay on the fantasy end of the spectrum. All right. Let's not beat around the bush any then. Um, since it's your first time on the show, I have devised this very, very cunning uh, series of yes or no questions. The great dichotomies of nerddom. Hit me. All right. Number one. And this is, this is sort of like the true north. All right. This is like the, the scent, the primary point on the compass. So no pressure. This just might define who you are retroactively forever. Marvel. <laughs> that was the, that was question four, but. Oh, okay. Okay. Good answer. <laughs> uh, so Marvel versus DC. Marvel. Mm. Uh, hit me. Why? Why? Yeah. <sighs> I would go characterization primarily. I mean, there seems to be much more um, black and white as far as DC goes. And I've always enjoyed the, the challenges that the characters in Marvel face to really, you know, find their own way. And it's not as much about good and evil. It's about what makes sense to them at the time. Um, Cool. Way is there better. like a is there a particular story or character that kind of embodies that for you? Like like a book you read is like when you were younger that just kind of like boom. <sighs> That's a hard one. Um, yeah, for me it was for me it was um, uh, one of the first Spider Man comics that I was handed was uh, Craven's Last Hunt. Okay. And um, in this story, like <laughs> I know, yeah. eh? You're I was not. God, I remember I, w I couldn't have been any older than eight or nine um, when it was coming out. Like, so young that I was still getting my like my mother to pick up comics for me. Yeah. I hadn't even started going to the comic store uh, with any regularity. Um, and I remember I was... My cousin Jeff had, like, talked this up. I was like, this is huge. This is the next, like, big thing kind of in comics. Um, and I guess he was talking to, like, the, the sort of ultra-realist sort of adult theme that Watchmen had introduced was finding its way into mainstream comics. Yeah. Uh, which was a which was a huge shift from where especially a title like Spider-Man mm -hmm. um, had been before. Um, but in the in the third part, um, spoilers on, you know, a possibly 30 year old comic book. Um, but uh, Craven commits suicide in the third of the six parts. Mm -hmm. And I was super stoked to get that book. Like, I'm like, I don't know. you want to see suicide? Well, I didn't understand at the time, like, what the big deal was, but I knew it was a big deal. And I was excited to be involved in this big deal uh, that was happening. And I remember my mother was driving us somewhere, and I was telling my, my younger brother about it. He had to be, like, four or five. Wow. <laughs> and my mom, like, turns around, and she's like, stop talking about that. If you talk about it anymore, I'm not getting you that comic book. And she never did. I never had until I was going to say when she puts her foot down. That's oh, there, there, there was acid breath all over that one. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, she she shut that down in a hurry, and I never did get that um, that issue. Although later I collected and trade, and I used to read them over at my cousin's house all the time. But that was the issue where that really like in that issue more than you know 
more than the issues of suicide and all the heavy stuff in Craven's Last Hunt. Mm-hmm. The the B plot of the whole thing was that Spider-Man and Mary Jane were newlyweds and they were they were supposed to be moving all of MJ's stuff into Peter's apartment and Peter never shows up because Craven's like possibly killed him. Like the at the end of the first issue Craven shoots him. You don't know what's happened, but then you see him bury a casket, and it's like, here lies Spider-Man, and you're like, what just happened? And when the story picks up, Mary Jane's like, all right, where is he? And it's like, whoa, like, this isn't just, this isn't just like a dude in tight swinging around. Like, if something happens to him, there are people who are going to care about that. You know, and there's all like the little, you know, like the, the, all the the plates he has to spin in his everyday life, I guess, like that idea kind of came out of that for me. For you get sure. that in Batman. If something happens to Bruce, Alfred's going to stand there and say, where is he? I'm trying to defend my DC. Yeah, but is, <laughs> is Bruce really integral to, like, Wayne Industries, though, at this point? I mean... But he's integral to Alfred. One dude. One dude. One <laughs> really, really old and, let's face it, kind of creepy dude. So I'm thinking Bruce? more of, like... I'm thinking more of, like, House of M, though. Like, it wasn't when I was a kid, but it, it was a significant amount of time and um that was a great story that was um really all more mutants yeah oh my gosh that that was the summer of 2004 well, that was basically marvel's marvel's marching orders this year no more mutants they're getting rid of everything <laughs> they've been trying for a decade and a half and if now they're we can't get the rights back from fox we're gonna light it all on fire fox those guys I s- they, um, they, they have made some good movies you know in the x-men ones but yeah, it's yeah. it's a if we can't get the rights back, we're going to burn it to the ground. It never existed. Oh, man. See, I their timing on this whole thing makes me really confused. The ending of the recent. Uh, oh, sorry, Brenna. In what way? Oh, the the, the ending of the recent crossover, um, uh, Secret War. Okay. Um, sort of hit a like a cosmic reset. On the Marvel Universe. Not that they did, like, a crisis and, like, you know, everything's starting over, but it's like the universe was destroyed and, spoilers, um, Reed Richards is in the process of hammering it back into the shape that he kind of remembers it being. Okay. But some of that, like, some things are different. Some things in characters' pasts have changed and they're having, like, these sort of ripple effects into the present. Um, The whole purpose of that miniseries... And I got that one, read it. It, it. Basically, it's, we're getting rid of the Fantastic Four. That was See, the... Why, why wouldn't you get rid of the X-Men at the same time? If you're doing one, do I, the I other. I think you needed to do... They, well, they basically had. They, they basically gone from 30 books a month that were all X titles and being the bread and butter of the series to Deadpool's just really, really popular and we can't cut all the ties right away, but hey, we got rid of Logan. We you know, we brought old man Logan in, which isn't quite the same. And we but got it's good cross promotion for the upcoming movie. But remember they're not in they have nothing they get nothing for those movies. That's all been pre sold. So if if a new X Men movie makes a billion dollars, they get nothing out of it other than they But they get free more publicity. Money. They get potentially new kids interested in coming to the table looking for for more, Not right? according to Disney. Because Disney says, I can't promote these guys. 
I can't make a theme park with a Wolverine ride. And I can't. Totally be- could, because I would go and I would take my kids. <laughs> no, but Do they it. can't. Take they, my they money. Can't. The Wolverine ride would be fantastic. I don't believe that. They, I don't believe that there is there is a provision in there. They have the rights to them in the cartoon series, and they can do a TV version to a certain uh, respect. But there are certain things that they're not allowed to do because the rights have been sold off to Fox. So Fox is sitting there going, "We own the movies. We own the TV. Um, keep making comic books, and you'll promote it to us." Oh, by the way, we're still sitting on Fantastic Four. I think that's the part that's really bothering Fox is they're going, they keep making awful movies with these guys. It was a sh- movie. Yeah. It's, man. It, it, but, all of them have uh, to. Uh, like two. T- no, I like the original. The, well, the original. I like the one with. Um, the first one wasn't great. The second one was le- was more tolerable. And after the new Fantastic Four movie, they both look sensational by comparison. Of course, yeah. I, you know, everybody says, well, you know, the first hour or so was was pretty good. I didn't like it. I didn't like the characterizations. I really, how can you take Doctor Doom, one of the best villains that was ever created? The whole uh, narcissism and the, the idea of, you know, he has to wear the mask to cover the scar, but he's not really scarred. But in his psyche, he's 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 well, he's hiding, bitter. right? Yeah. And, he, and it, but it's such a visually stunning villain. It's such a great a, a villain that you can't arrest because he's got diplomatic immunity and owns his own country. Diplomatic immunity. Yeah, you can't be, you can beat me up, but you can't. Evil weapon me. too. Come on. <laughs> but and to have him completely screwed up in three movies. Badly done. That is disappointing, man. Like the um, I, I'm a bad geek because I didn't see the most recent Fantastic Four movie, but I understood that they were kind of riffing on Warren Ellis's Ultimate Fantastic Four run a little bit. A little and bit. the Doom in that series was awesome. Not in this movie. Oh, that is, see, that's really disappointing. If they just if they had used those comics as their storyboard. They'd have been fine. But you can say the same thing about uh, the last Suicide Squad movie. If you go back and take a look at the animated uh, Suicide Squad movie that they just did, the Attack on Arkham, that's your blueprint. It works. Adjust it accordingly, but keep the blueprint. See, I've never read enough Suicide Squad in the comics to really... uh, The concept is there. It's just basically... But you've got so many ways that it can go, and... This way, it was almost like it's storyboarded for you. A comic book is storyboarded. You know, don't don't mess with what's working. There's plenty of uh, plenty of material there that that will work for you. And these guys go, but I'm going to write my own thing. No, don't write your own thing. Do what works. Well, I'd be curious to see what the original script actually looked like before they did all the rewrites. Oh, uh, they brought in like the, the other cut. Joss Whedon. Like they brought in Drew Goddard at the last minute to like to basically kick the thing into a direction that the studio would agree to? Well, they wanted to Deadpoolize it, is my understanding, right? Like, they wanted to capitalize on that success of the... Oh, sorry, no, no, I was I was talking oh. about Fantastic Four. Oh, I'm um, sorry, I was still on Suicide Squad. Yeah, I know that there were some reshoots in Suicide Squad, but I think Ayer always contended that they were, like, sort of upped-budget effect shots. I think a lot um, of that, David Ayer, based on what I recall seeing because I, I had a I had a little bit of a 
a view in when they were working on that movie. I mean, he was, nothing got past him. He had final say on everything. And I know that he had a bit of a meltdown at my previous employment. Uh, he had a meltdown when he found that somebody had changed the insignias on, I think it was Harley Quinn or Deadpool's boots. And he got mad because they Deadshot? Or de- sorry, Deadshot. Yes, correct. Because Deadpool in a Suicide Squad movie would be hilarious. There you go, <laughs> Harley and Deadpool. No, but it was it, somebody's somebody's costume. They had made some differences to it. He caught it in the in the camera test, and he flipped. And uh, and the one of the guys that was running the projector at the in the office said it got uncomfortable. He ripped a strip into the person and said, "You don't do anything unless it runs past me first. So he, he was he was under the gun too because this was the biggest movie that he had had, had a chance to run and it was so different. But uh, to have him, you know, I think they worked with him to change the script. I know that they handed it over to the guys and cut the trailer because the trailers are like, well, the trailers are great. We'll give it to those guys. Oh, the trailers were works of art, man. They That's were amazing. Funny. The person cutting a trailer doesn't necessarily tell the full story and you well, can, you can tell it gets very choppy and and uh, there's a lot of story that goes missing oh that's a bummer but hey, it seems to have worked out pretty well for him like um by the numbers they made they've been making money it's it's a success financially well so is batman v superman but we all i think can agree that it's not the movie that it could have been yeah absolutely and I think, and, and with this Fantastic Four, the same story is they shot a movie that everybody said the stuff was there, but the studio came in and said, we're changing it. And you can see there's a visual, almost a visual line where it says, somebody did this part and something is different in the second part of the movie. It, don't they like, I heard this, I haven't seen the movie, so maybe James, you can confirm this for me, but mm-hmm. do they not explain where where Sue Storm's powers come from? Because she doesn't go through the thing with no, them. She like, doesn't. she doesn't go... She happens to be So do they ever explain in... why she can turn invisible? No. And that's that's one of the big problems with it. It's just kind of like... So just suddenly in the second half, she turns invisible with no explanation. Exactly. She got kind of the backlash because she was in the in in the um, control room. Oh. And she got a bit so of So there's an explanation. It's just stupid. It's just bad. You know... Why couldn't you have made one one more pod? Send five through. No, we got to send four, and Sue's not one of them. Or just you know, did, you know, Victor could have gone on his own first, and then the other four could have gone in after him. Or I don't know, you could have just changed. If they the wanted to tie the, the movie, they could have had her be a mutant. True story. Yes. Well, didn't they actually? There was a there was a period of time where they tied her and Johnny to Ghost Rider of all people. There was an old Spirits of Vengeance type story, and it goes huh. back to young Susan Storm and young Johnny Storm, and they run into Blaze, Johnny Blaze. Like at the circus? No, like <laughs> like he's Ghost Rider, they're kids, and they run into the spirit and and have some kind of adventure with, with him. It was a really obscure comic, and uh, I, I think I... Was this it. like, is this 90s? Yeah, this is 90s. Because there, there was a period where, like, Ghost Rider was a really hot property at Marvel, and they tried to shoehorn him into, like, everything. Yeah, Flaming Hot. Wah, wah. 
And now we hey, take a look what's happening on uh, Tuesday. We got they got the yeah, rights to them back. On Agents of Shield. Slowly, they're getting all the little pieces back, and this is what Disney is wants. So they're going to put the pressure, and if they don't get exactly what they want or the deal that they want, like they have with Sony and Spider Man, they will just kind of go. You know what? We don't need those properties anymore. But that seems like a pretty good deal, to be honest. Like it seems like a pretty good split in terms of the money and. I don't know. I don't know why Fox would say no to it, except on principle. Well, Fox, remember, if Fox paid Marvel a, a, back in uh, when they were doing that fire sale, early '90s, and they bought the rights, and they bought the rights in perpetuity until either they don't make any movies, and if they stop using them and they stop making a Fantastic More, a Fantastic Four movie, they have so many years to use the property, and if they don't use it. It reverts back. So that's what, what is the time frame? Do you know? No, well, that uh, that would go into whatever legal contracts. But I know that that's why they rushed uh, the last movie is because it was getting close. That's why they rushed the the last Fantastic Four movie. The last Fantastic Four movie it was getting close, and they were like, "Well, we got to pull the trigger and get one made and and get it out there." That's why I think that's how the, I think that's how Daredevil ended up on Netflix. I think Fox had Daredevil, but they couldn't get another movie going after the Affleck thing. Exactly. Um, so it, it reverted. It, it reverted back, and it was either it's a pay or play. You either use it, and you get to retain it. And so that's why right now, if the Fox is saying Deadpool, we're just going to keep firing Deadpool movies, and that will that will allow us to keep the X Men franchise. And they're going to hold off until, I think they've got a couple of years that they really have to be in production on the next movie. So you think figure four or five years, if you don't see them moving in, within two, you can't get a movie off the ground unless you do like the Roger Corman. But I think there's even rules against that. They have to spend so much and have a certain quality level or else it's deemed wow. that they're not, uh, they're not using the property. But if I was Fox, I'd be like, hey, listen, you know, let's let's make a deal. Let's play nice. Here, you want the Fantastic Four back because it's not working for us. They've done three movies now and, and to varying degrees of success. But with those Fantastic Four movies, that also includes Galactus. It includes Silver Surfer. It includes um, certain other characters. The only ones that they could, that, that crossed over that both Marvel and, and, the, uh, and another studio could use were Scarlet Witch and uh, Quicksilver because they were deemed to be in two different universes. And that's why we got two Quicksilver. But they had to have distinct origins and well, you couldn't use, they you know the the rules are the rules state that it's the term mutant is officially owned by uh, Fox because they bought the term um, from Marvel. This is back when Marvel was hemorrhaging money and they were going bankrupt. They were they almost sold Spider-Man to DC. Yikes! There's a whole book that uh, that details like just the they were they were on death's door, and it wasn't until somebody else came in with some money, and and Kevin Bill Jemis, as I recall, and and Kevin uh, Kevin uh, Feiny came in and uh, I was screwing up his last name, Feige, Feige, yeah, and and basically said we have a vision. And we've got a few bucks, and basically stop what you're doing. Let's try it, and that's when they started with the studios and everything else. 
cool. Uh, Brenna. Yes. After that long walk, um, <laughs> sorry. Back to the compass. AMC versus HBO. <sighs> so AMC's got your like Walking Dead, mm-hmm. Breaking Bad. Um, HBO's got your Game of Thrones or Android Box, and you enjoy them all. That's true. Actually, yeah, we sort of partake of both of those things illicitly. Yeah. Um, but I'm going to go HBO. Cool. Game of Thrones? Game of Thrones. Got to say, right though, on. books are better. Yeah? Oh, so much better. There's so much... There's so many more characters. There's so many more s- storylines. There's so much more intrigue. Um and unfortunately, obviously due to time constraints and I'm sure budgeting as well, they've taken some of the storylines in the books and attributed them to characters that are already existing in the HBO universe. And it's just sort of muddies the waters and it's not as it's not a delicate of a dance as it is in the books. And there's just there's so much nuance that we're missing out on. Um I'm interested to see where the series is going to go, obviously, because they've, they've surpassed the books now. Um, I, I really hope that they don't ruin the last book for everybody because I hope that there's going to be two completely different endings, but I, I don't know if that's legit, legitimately possible. Sorry. I just got tackled by my dog. <laughs> <laughs> um, He's an AMC fan. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Um, Dude likes Walking Dead. Yeah. Tell them you like Walking Dead. Doge will eat all your pizzas. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, HBO. Absolutely. Cool. All right. Uh, this one, now I've got two. This next compass point, I guess we could take kind of two ways. Um, I ask most folks, Sony versus Microsoft, uh, PlayStation versus Xbox. Mm-hmm. But sometimes, but the the retro version of that is Nintendo, Nintendo versus, versus Sega. Sega. Nintendo, and I feel like that's more of a philosophical kind of divide. I feel like people who divide on Sony, on PlayStation or Xbox, it's like a pragmatic matter. But Nintendo versus Sega, I remember from my youth being a, a philosophical Coke issue. Yes. Coke you and Pepsi. That's right. No, I'm totally Nintendo, one hundred percent. Cool. Favorite game? I gotta go old school Mario. Original box? Original Mario. I still have my NES and my um, my uh, cartridges. Now, it's hooked up in one? the kids' room right now. Sorry? Will you buy the new one? The new box nope. that's coming out in a couple weeks? No, I'm not going to buy the new one. My old one is still, still perfectly functional. It's lovely. amazing, man. I've had it since I was 10, maybe, maybe eight. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, if that one were to keel over, then we would probably get a new one, but it seems like a waste of money to me. Cool. Unless you Actually, I was, um, what's that? This is the, the, the new box they appeal is you don't have to blow on the cassettes. It's so funny. Paul and I were talking about that today. I literally said, 
am I still going to have to blow on the cartridge if I buy the new one? It's like, mm, probably. <laughs> or, I don't know. There's something, there's something down. beautiful about the ritual of, of, you know, blowing on the cartridge and putting it back in and, Man, I learned to pray by putting the cartridge in after I'd blown in it and hitting reset until the thing <laughs> worked. Right? Oh, jeez. It's, be- it's beautiful. It's classic. You know, to work on anymore. Because no, all the new TVs don't have RCA inputs. You can get and, converters. Well, you can get converters, but they're, again, it's, it just kind of, it picks, it's almost like watching Minecraft on, on a TV now. When you put on those old TVs. And even playing an old uh, old DVD player or, or, or VHS through the the new TVs, it just makes them look so bad. Well, i I don't think it I don't think it could look a whole heck of a lot better. I mean, it's well, that's what it graphics, was, man. Right? It, well, yes. There'll be there'll be bigger pixels, I guess. But I think the new games, the the whole appeal is that they're adjusting the games so that way they'll play on the new TVs in HD. Wouldn't be the same. I mean, it's like when you when you played on an emulator. When when we first got the Wii and you had the emulator for uh, classic Mario, it, it wasn't the same. Didn't feel the same. You, the muscle memory wasn't there. I don't know. Fair it just it, was it, it wasn't right. It, was, it wasn't thought, right. It was, and yeah. See, I just missed it. I have hope, for the, I have hope for the new. I have a lot of close hope for the classic edition. I think that it'll, for the, it'll um, be for the new the little um, the little HDMI box they're coming out with, I really hope that they'll you know that it'll recapture that kind of that feeling of it. That's simple. Like the new controller is supposed to be to the original specifications, and like I hope. Yeah, I don't, we'll see. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's sort of my philosophy. Yeah, well, it's just making sure it doesn't break on you. That was the problem with the. With the, with the yeah, here, here's hoping. Oh man. Okay. So I guess finally, the the first shall come last in this case. Star Wars versus Star Trek. Star Wars, hands down. Awesome. Not even thinking about reasoning. It. I and I say this as a Star Trek fan. I love Star Trek. I love all things Star Trek. I even love the Scott Bakula Star Trek. Um, <laughs> I know, I know, but hang on, l- let's unpack that a little bit. What do you like about the about Enterprise? Um, so remember when they would come back from being on a planet and they would step off the shuttle and into the little enclosure, enclosure, and then they would like strip naked and rub the jelly all over each other. The, d- yeah. the decontamination jelly. So that's why you like seeing Scott Bakula rubbing jelly. What? What's not? When? What was her name? The hot Vulcan? Oh, to Paul. Uh, oh. Jolene Blaylock. Yeah, uh, I think the I think the character name was to Paul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, but I think I'm going to be going back to watch it on Netflix. Um, she's smoking hot. I'd rub jelly on her anytime. Uh, but anyway, I'll begin to see your point. Yeah. You know, um, the one thing that I did like about that show was the Enterprise seemed very like it didn't seem invincible like it did in next generation absolutely i mean there were several times where they could have been right and royally screwed and you felt that there was there was trepida- trepidation in everything that they did oh man it it all it i was still watching lost on jelly it. Yeah. What's that? You know, i'm still lost on jelly i'm, I'm calm. 
start searching this out on Netflix again. Man, shortly after Firefly was canceled, I gave Enterprise another go. And there's points where, like, the fragility of the Enterprise reminded me of, like, of Serenity and how she'd always be breaking down. Objects in space. Right? Yes. Ugh. But there was just something about Firefly, the way that they did it. It just oh, it was, it was pure magic. It was just the, the perfect combination of elements. There's 14 series in one movie, and that's all you need. Well, no, you could that's use more. That's all I need. No, I need you, more. Well, but, I mean, if that's all we're ever going to get, it, it works really, oh, really I'll well. I'll take it. I mean, don't get me wrong. It, I, there's nothing I would change about what's already there, but there's... You'd add more. Absolutely. It didn't, a, it didn't get a chance to go bad. Maybe, but I, I, there was something really special happening there on that set. I think if it was going to go, eh, it's a Whedon series. There was always going to be that, you know, that risk that there will be that one season that just doesn't quite hit. And yeah, this but is even fourteen but perfect. Even episodes. in that season, you know, like I'll take season four of Angel over like ninety eight percent of television out there. Yeah, okay. That's a pretty bold claim. 98%? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot I'm of good stuff I'm willing to stand by there. it. I'm willing to stand by it. I, t- I take it over... <sighs> I take it over Lost. Um, hi, Eric's not here to murder me. <laughs> um, I would take season four of Angel over anything with CSI in the title. Bah, yeah, okay, granted. Um, I take it over any reality program, any game show. Um, I don't know. I I, I think I it'd be hard pressed, hard pressed to to put anything above something like that. Um, season four though, you're, you're, you're really th- gonna stick with season four? Well, uh, what was that other series that uh, Whedon did? Uh, Dollhouse. Dollhouse. Thank you. Oh, was- that was great. It, it it was I I don't know I never saw it. What? I and I, I apologize. You, I, I, but it was one of those series. I just I at a period of my life I was not watching a lot of TV. I had my one or two shows and nothing else cracked that list because I didn't have any time. I was working and family and the whole bit. And it just it was one of those that slipped through the cracks and all of a sudden it was gone. And there was no desire to ever go back and try to track it down. Oh, definitely spend the time. It's worth your time. Okay. Yeah, the concept is actually staggering when you get when you get into well, either the the last episode that they aired for first season when they thought that the the series was going to be canceled, or even anything in the second season. the The concept behind it, the the mind control implications, um, is something that's super duper relevant right now when you look at people who are glued to their phones. Um, addicted to Facebook and the simplicity in which we are slowly integrating technology into all aspects of our human interactions. And then you look at what they've done in dollhouse and it's, it's terrifying actually, because you can see how it could happen so easily. Yeah. It takes an idea that seems like when you were first introduced to it, the, the mind manipulation seems very out there, but the longer you're around it, the easier it is to sort of see how it might have come about, and it be it be you get so used to it, it becomes very believable 
in a hurry. Okay, maybe I will source, source it out. It it. Oh, I, I recommend it, man. We're, there is a bit. There is a bit of a slow start in parts of season one, but it season two is fantastic. Like complete overdrive. Um, there's a character played by a Firefly actor in season two who has a heel turn, and it just it's it's staggering, staggering how well done it is. Yep. So look for the character. And know that a change is happening. Thanks for the spoiler. Okay. <laughs> if you can pick the actor out, oh come on, there's when only you fourteen see initially. I'm just saying, like I didn't recognize this actor at first. Okay, fair enough. True story. Like it took me, it took until the turn for me to realize, oh my gosh, it's them. Like, it ah, oh, mind blowing. You should you go see it now. Do it. Go to. Is it on Netflix? I don't think so. I'll have to. Uh, I'll have to check. I think it is. I think it might be on uh, Canadian Netflix. But go use all the evil power of the internet to find it. You. You must. Okay. Right after I watch the jelly stuff on uh, Enterprise. <laughs> I can't argue with that. Brandon made some, made a good point, and I won't. You know, I want to follow up on that just to see. <laughs> so. Now, in all of the Star Wars films and all of the Star Wars properties, I don't know that there's ever been a jelly rubbing sequence. I'm I'm fairly confident in saying that there has not. So what is it about Star Wars that elevates it above that fine, viscous goodness? Gold bikini. Sorry, uh, that's not my answer. It's not your answer? It's not a wrong answer. I, that was, um, I was meant it was, wasn't going to be Brenna's answer, but... Well, you, you don't know me um, <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> um star wars star wars was part of my childhood like my young informative moments i mean i remember playing with a plastic millennium falcon and i i remember having a fuzzy ewok and you know, sitting in, in the basement and watching them over and over again on the VHS tape until the tape literally cracked in half. Oh, uh, my, my Star Wars tapes didn't make it that far. They, um, they got eaten. Oh, yeah, I still got I'm mine so in the box. I've yeah, watched I had the, um, back. oh, beautiful. I had the, um, not the, not the special editions with the redone effects, but the THX remastered version. Mm-hmm. Oh. Which was, it's funny, I was in, um, maybe a year or two ago, I was at a cheapies, like a low, um, a, uh, buy and sell music and video store in Hamilton. Um, and I found that box. I found that VHS box sitting there and I almost picked it up knowing I didn't have a VHS player in my house. I had a buddy that, uh, he refused to show his, his son, about four or five, and he says, I'm going to sit him down and show him Star Wars. But he says, I refuse. And he went out and sourced a, a VHS player and a, and a regular old two TV to show him the widescreen version of the unfiltered or the, the pre-special effects version. That's commitment to a bit. I mean, we definitely made sure that we showed our kids the, the despecialized versions, but uh, I'm not going to lie and say it was on a tube TV, though. Yeah, he went out and he did the whole bit. When I showed Chuck, you know, 
I showed her the special editions, but I've also explained what parts, you know, forget about that, forget about that, forget about that. And uh, you cringe a little <laughs> bit. But yeah. You see, you see the terrible CGI Jabba come in and you're just like, close your eyes. Yeah, close your eyes. Don't look and, at it. And I also, for the, you know, you do that for the prequels and so just close your eyes. Oh, the, the, what, it, man? It'd be like if the end of um, the end of Raiders of the Last Ark lasted two and a half hours. Just like, don't look at it. And then keep not looking at it. Well, you do you do that with, you know, every time Jar Jar comes on screen and every yeah. time there's a stupid plot twist and it's just close your eyes here. I'm going to show you Duel of the Fates and then close your eyes again. Have but you guys she, heard she about... Oh, sorry. You, no, go you go. So say, have you guys heard about the the Topher Grace version of the uh, episode one, two, three? Was it him? I have those? heard of this. So apparently, Topher Grace of that '70s show fame uh, sat down and re-edited all of the footage from one, two, and three um, down into one movie, and he basically removed like I think ninety nine percent of the Jar Jar stuff. Streamlined everything. I remember made. when they did that with the first movie. There was, and they had accused Kevin Smith of doing it. <laughs> and we did it in our office. We, you know, back at that time, I was working in the tape room, so we had all the editing equipment and all the mm-hmm. gear. And we took a copy, uh, copied it over to tape, and we sat there and recut the movie. Do you recall the escape from the uh, from Naboo? The uh, in the water city, the Gungan yep. city. There's always yeah. a bigger fish. There's always a bigger <laughs> fish. We cut all those scenes out. There's so much footage. You know, you can cut entire, like, half an hour of movie out of it. And he he was so repetitive. There was two scenes of that. And we went, we completely forgot. I guess we just kind of mentally blocked it out. But while we're watching it, we're going, oh, yeah, they repeated the same skit twice. Gone. Cut them both. Or just cut one out. And it's a, so much a better movie. And then when we heard that there was an even better version out there, you know, and somebody spent a little bit of money and actually recut the entire film, it, you're going, you know, it's a stroke of genius if you can do it. God, I think all of them got torn off the internet uh, pretty, pretty quickly. But I remember hearing one that was um, episode one, The Power of the Force or something. And... What intrigued me about it is it made the central conflict about a slave trade. And the notion was that the Trade Federation had landed on Naboo to enslave them, where they would be sold off to the huts and sent to Tatooine. That would make sense. As opposed to, hey... It sounded genius, but I can't find a copy of this for the life of me. Slight variances in the story would have made so much more sense. You know, you get rid of uh, Metachlorians and, oh, you know, yeah. you, you you change it up a little bit. All of a sudden, there's some purpose behind it as opposed to, well, we're having a trade embargo against these guys. And uh, that's why we're oh, in danger. It didn't make any sense. No. Um, can I share an embarrassing confession with you guys? Oh, yes, please. Please. When episode one came out. And I was desperately apologizing for it to every non-Star Wars fan that I dragged to see it on opening night. (laughs) And I was trying to latch on to anything, anything in it that might have been an interesting idea or a cool concept. 
other than the Duel of the Fates. Yeah. Um, was one of the things where I was like, hey, wait a minute. This sounds dumb, but maybe there's some legs to this here. Maybe this is the start of a bigger, more interesting idea. And, like, one of the ideas that always kind of baffled me in Star Wars was this idea that the Force had a will. And the idea that this energy field could be directing people to an aim or a purpose. And, like, discovering what that purpose might have been, I thought, hey, that this might be what the prequels are all about. You know, maybe Vader goes bad because he gets a little bit too close to the sun or whatever. Uh, you know, that would explain the burns. Um <laughs> But, like, I don't know, and they're, I, you know, I was coming off of seeing the Matrix movies. I was going to say, of, it sounds like you're you're trying to find a, a, a bigger mythos behind it, like a spirituality almost. Yeah. And, you know, and I was a big Empire, like, booster at the time, and I was looking for that, and I yeah. kind of hoped that that's why. But at it the it always day, seemed like a misstep, like taking the Force and turning it into, like, your midichlorian count is over 9,000. Like, that seemed like a big misstep. A little too much Dragon Ball. Yeah. Although, man, if, like, if Vader had, like, grown huge yellow hair whenever he tried to use the Force, <laughs> that would have been awesome. All magic is just science that hasn't been explained yet? Yeah. Yeah. Man. Blending of the universes. Uh, no. Instead, I think George just chickened out on whatever his idea for it was. I think after the negative reaction and... I guess we just never talk about it again where Star Wars is concerned. Well, with George, you know, you can appreciate the guy had thoughts. Like, if you even go back to, I, I had, uh, I picked up at one of the comic shows, um, the Star Wars, the original script, Dark Horse had the rights to it before they lost it to Marvel. They went off and did a comic book version of the original script. And this Star was Killer like George's script when he was trying to tell the whole story in one movie. Pretty <laughs> much. And, it was uh, 19 hours long. Yeah. <laughs> and and but it was... There are things that he went back to, went back to the well, and tried to reintroduce. And you're going, George, you know, you went so far with the other three movies in a different direction. You can't really go back. It just it doesn't work anymore. Yeah, had had you gone this route at the beginning, okay, maybe. But you know, it, it's almost like you know, it didn't work, or, or it it didn't work then in the scripts. Don't try to you know shoehorn your original ideas back in just because you want to. Oh man, for my money though, the um, oh gosh, what is the? There's one YouTube channel. It's freaking ah, uh, I can't. It's killing me that I can't remember what it is off the top of my head, but it's um, it's this one dude, and he's pitching and storyboarding his reimagined um, episode one, two, and three. Uh, this is gonna. I will fix this in post. No, I won't. <laughs> but I will find this dude's. Yeah, that's YouTube a special channel. thanks. You will will be diverted. In the special edition, this is so like this is so short. I just find it, and it's right there. Uh, it's not Red Letter Media. They do the really off-putting ones. Um, the videos are like, what if, uh, like, what if episode one were good? 
I will not be fixing this in post at all. It's belated media. Um, but they go through all the prequels and it's like, what if episode one were good? What if episode two were good? <laughs> and it makes the prequels that they pitch are so compelling. Like their episode three is just beautiful. I would love to have seen that movie. Do I don't know. I'm sure every, every fan at some point or other has their own oh, version of what all, it should have been. We all sit back and go, you know, we wish, we wish, we wish. And I think deep down, everybody just wanted The Force Awakens. As much as, you know, we, we say that we wanted something different, and George gave us something different. He gave us, you know, everybody said we want to see Yoda fight. He gave us Yoda fighting. You really can't. Why did everybody him. say that? Well, we say, say that, that now. I mean, we wanted to see what Yoda would have been like. Uh, maybe not jumping around like Kermit and, and and those type of fight scenes. But he did give us something different. And and what's different about the Force Awakens is that it was, in some ways, more of the same. They it was super formulaic, but it was it, it was exactly it worked it. Had he given us the Force Awakens instead of the prequels, would uh, would he still be making movies? But George is one of those guys. He was never as much as he was sold on the universe and sold on Star Wars. I don't know if he was as big a fan of Star Wars as he was a fan of just being an artsy guy. I think the story goes that whatever he felt about Star Wars as a story. Certainly the process of making them, particularly the first three, was so, like, onerous and, like, almost traumatic for him. Mm-hmm. Like, it certainly must have colored his his feelings about doing the prequels or the idea of doing sequels. Well, and it was, he didn't even want to direct those ones, but nobody else wanted to take him on. And he wanted Spielberg to do one, and he wanted, but even, he, he he's a guy that just couldn't be hands-off. And the only way that he could be hands-off was to sell it and walk away from it. They gave, he gave them their notes, and they said, George, we're not doing these. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was at the Mark Hamill panel, it was really interesting. They did a, a story about they said, uh, Mark. This was uh, the panel at uh, Fan Expo. At Fan Expo uh, recently. And they said, uh, he, he said, George was always very secretive. Uh, and he gave examples, especially Empire Strikes Back. And he said, uh, we got a call recently, and he says, George wants to have lunch with you guys. And he says, we used to have these, you know, every once in a while. And he says, I thought back, oh, yeah, that's right, they're doing the 3D versions. Maybe he wants us to go out and, and do some uh, media and press. And that's the way George always, you know, he asks while you're at dinner. And they said, uh, the kids are, you know, the kids are going to go have their own separate meal because the kids are all friends. He says, but uh, Harrison, you carry... He wants to have lunch with you guys and discuss some stuff. And they said they got there, and it was basically, um, I'm selling the company, Disney's buying it, and if you guys want to be a part of it, great, they're going to make a new movie. If you don't want to be a part of it, great, they'll write you out of it. Um, I'm handing over the reins, and uh, I'm done. I'm walking away. And and he still had a little bit of pull at that point, but he... He thought that he would be involved in a certain in a certain way and has some story control. And Disney basically said, "We're taking it away from you. Here's your four billion. There's the door, and um, we'll invite you to the premiere." 
In fairness, for four billion, like that's fair. Oh, yeah, well, he, he fully got his money. They got their money's worth, and he got his money's worth. But uh, it, it was it was interesting to hear just the way it was it was put. It was like, um, if you don't want to be a part, great, no problem, no hard feelings. We'll write you out. And then he was basically, I'm handing over the reins to somebody else, and I'm done. You know, and and uh, they said the the follow up lines were, he says, I'm sitting there trying to be poker face. Carrie Fisher just goes, I'm in. Is there a role for my daughter? And he's like, don't say that. If you're in, the rest of us all have to be in. He says, <laughs> he says give, me a, give me a minute. You know, let me talk to my agent. Carrie, stop stop agreeing to everything. <laughs> he says, the rest of us are all going, well, crap, if she's in, we, we have to be in or else we just look like jerks. He says, I was holding up for free breakfast. Man. Then you get the situation like in Star Trek Generations where you've just got like whoever was around from the original series. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't get Kirk, Spock, and Bones. We'll get Kirk and I don't know. Does Sulu want to be in it? Oh, Kirk's there. He doesn't want to be in your. I think it was it was Chekhov and Scotty. So they got in that movie. So what would be the what would be the if Episode Seven had only landed like Carrie Fisher? Uh, like Wedge and uh, like Greedo. Yeah, could you imagine episode? Had they done a new Star Wars and Harrison Ford had stuck to his guns and just said, "No, not doing it. Not enough money to do it. I hate the character. Kill me off in the in the uh, the, the the scroll at the beginning." Harrison Ford or Han Solo died at the beginning of uh, due to Ewok infection. <laughs> you know what? He didn't really need to be in the movie. See, I think he did. I think he. I think we needed all three of them to see him once. And if he had done just come in and done his scene, he did. He gave his parts. He's now free and clear. But yeah, I but think I it would have been. They on- had enough footage left over that they could have spliced him in, you know, as a flashback scene where they could have done Carrie Fisher and him and then cut it so that, you know, they see them having the baby and then you wouldn't actually, you didn't actually need him to be there. I thought that was the one part of the movie that to me was kind of trite was spoilers. um, The whole, like he's killing his father because essentially it's a metaphor for he's killing the last good parts of himself. Right. See, I'm, um, think, I'm going more the Dumbledore route. I, I think it's more the Dumbledore route of he needed to, you know, you know, his son couldn't do it on his own. He had to be able to help him and hopefully move him back. To help him be evil? Well, no, but it's kind of like the... Because uh, he had a choice in that moment, right? Yes, he had he, a choice. Is Killing his father was basically giving himself up to the dark side. See, here's my midichlorian moment with okay. this movie. Um, but I noticed that when the saber gets on, it's out of frame. We don't know who activated the lightsaber. That's true. Han may have helped him by taking the decision out of his hands. He was and dying if you, of Ewoks if you subscribe to the theory of, um, of Kylo Ren as like a deep cover kind of agent, like, get in, learn what they're doing, get as close to Snoke as you can, and when you get the opportunity, you know, 
chop chop. I think you're going to see... Or maybe just talk to him a lot and convince him to be good. That seems to be Luke's go-to plan for this sort of thing. (laughs) I'm worried about some of the rumors that I've heard. Again, I'll take them with a grain of salt. But that we're going more towards who Rey could be and who Kylo could be. And... But I, I kind of like the uh, the idea that we'll see in a later movie that it was Han hitting the, the hilt and, and turning it on himself. Because he didn't look terribly shocked when it happened. Well, his son was evil, so hence his lack of shock. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Did. I mean, it's, it's I guess possible. we'll see. I think you're going to see Han did it in that way his son didn't didn't do the final step. So what you're saying is he, he was saving him from himself? Saving him from himself, yes. In theory. I could be completely wrong next movie. Man, Chewie is going to feel like such a jerk for shooting him. <laughs> In the face. In the face. Not my beautiful face. Um, so, Brenda, did you ever have much occasion... Um, <laughs> non segues, but you ever play D and D much? I, I played a little D and D in my day. I played a little D and D. Would be Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> <laughs> it oh, would yes, be. Yes, it would. Okay. Yeah, um, I ask because um, fellow geek Aaron had a had a radio encounter with a DJ who contended that girls don't play D and D. Um, I know lots of girls who played D and D. I mean, I don't think it was as accessible to girls uh, when I first started as it as it was to boys, maybe, because um, I think it was definitely marketed towards the male gender. Um, but I know lots of girls who played D&D. I mean, I, I started out in high school, uh, grade 11. I never played Red Box. I, we started with second edition, and, and that was fine. Um but I mean, I grew up in Saskatchewan in, in a pretty small place, pretty small town. Um, oh, I, I, I grew up in, well, I went to high school in Prince Albert. So it's about 40, 40,000 people at that point. And there was really only one store in town that stocked the stuff, sold the stuff. Um, and that was, that was tramps and they, they were basically the purveyor of all things nerdy. Um, and it wasn't a girl-friendly environment um, at first. Um, and when Dungeons and Dragons has been around since what the the seventies, or maybe earlier than uh, that. Yeah, I'm not sure when the first edition was. Um, but when it really caught on in its popularity, I remember I remember hearing about it more early eighties. But it, it goes back. Did it's you a hear a lot years. about it in the early eighties? Well, I remember the movies or the TV show. I remember. The, oh, the, stories the, 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 car- the cartoon? The cartoon. Yeah. And I remember the stories about, you know, you hear in the stories on the news, there was some kids that went way over. And that was always the, you know, well, if you play Dungeons and Dragons, you're going to lose your reality. But that was... Uh, Whoa. Maybe, maybe the that's... Original, the original Dungeons and Dragons publication was in 1974. Mm. The Red Box was 77. Same year as Star Wars. Coincidence? Bum, bum, bum. Okay, so, so, and, and 
Second edition was... lands in 81. Yeah, that sounds then, right. Then 83 to 86 is well, the, I guess. The... Come out till, I think it was 2000 when third edition came out, right? Yeah, uh, Advanced Dungeons and Dragons Second Edition is eighty nine. Yeah. Then Third Ed lands in two thousand, and the three point five update in two thousand three. Yeah, three point five. Wow. Well, now known as Pathfinder. Uh, or Angel Season Four. Or Angel Season Four. Hi-oh. I don't. Know, I've heard some people really enjoy uh, Pathfinder quite a lot. But, I don't know. Most of these are people who are just like really like playing third, well, and I would like to continue third. I mean, playing third. It had some, it had some great um, ideas for like multiclassing and stuff. Because God, it was so hard to multiclass in second edition. You literally, if you decided you wanted to take on another character class, you could not use any of your skills from your old class until you had an equivalent level. So if you were like a tenth level mage, wizard, or and you wanted to get a level of fighter, you couldn't use your wizard skills again <sighs> until you were a 10th level fighter. That's bonkers. It was like impossible. It was compl- and- It was really ridiculous. Um, I, that's what I liked about third ed too. It let your characters growth reflect their experiences rather than, you know, rather than while well, you're in this class. So you're this. I mean, with the exception of wizards, because there was quite a bit of diversity in the the magic in uh, Second Ed. Yeah. But other than wizards, like on every on a long enough timeline, every fighter was basically the same. Every ranger was basically the same. You know, but um, with but in Third Ed, it really broke the mold on that. Yeah, it did. I mean, and and they uh, they went a little bit too far. I think and it got super complicated and, and convoluted and that's why they sort of had to rein things in and streamline it into 3.5 but um i mean i definitely appreciated the idea behind it yeah well, you know just like, like any like any role playing game it really it the application of the rules hinged on the people you were playing with well and in having a good dm right like someone who's willing to work with you and not be a total rules lawyer and ruin the experience just to stick to the letter of the law, you know? Yeah. I can't really speak to that a ton. Like I was always, I, I was the resident DM for most of my playing career. It was only, it wasn't until like I sort of started with my like second group, um, in D and D that I ever really got to be a player. So I never kind of, and the, you know Mark, Brenna, you've met Mark, right? He's been on the show before. Yep, yep. Yeah, like he, and he's like fantastic when he's DMing about sort of working your ideas for the character into the narrative and everything. You know, there's been, I've had very few bad experiences in terms of like rules lawyering and such. Hmm. Well, you know, I, sadly I dated the DM for a while and, and, and he, <laughs> He felt that, you know, he couldn't, he couldn't show any favoritism towards me. So he would often screw me over so that. <laughs> As it were. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, yeah. I'm just going to sit here and laugh. <laughs> uh, so that it wouldn't seem like, you know, I was getting any preferential treatment. Um, so it was often. Like, like he overcompensated kind of. He was harder on you than the other characters. Yeah, you could, you could say, uh, you could say I, I, uh, 
had to take my licks. <laughs> jelly, um, jelly. It's all about the jelly rubbing. Yeah. <sighs> I can't wait to watch Enterprise, man. Um. Oh. First time. All new perspectives. How about you, James? When did uh, how did you get into D and D? Never does. Never was. You know what? It was it was something I was never really exposed to. Um, when I hung out with uh, and and as you guys know, you know, I, Aaron and I have known each other for, for a long time, and it was just never in our little circle. Now maybe he did a little bit more later on, you know, and hung out with you guys or or, or played D and D, but it was just never within our little realm it was we were into the movies and we were into uh you know sci-fi and fantasy and and uh we made up a lot of other stupid games usually <laughs> that involved booze or um a friend of ours uh liam had the the infamous game of death that we kept trying to get off the ground and uh card games but we were never into the D D. I knew a lot of guys that uh, early on, especially magic, and it just seemed so foreign. And it, uh, it just was never. I, I, I hear you guys talk about it, and I'd love to try it one day just to experience it. But oh, now that's something we should live cast. There That'd we be go. Great. That would be interesting. Oh yeah, we should run a fifth edition module or something and and play it live. That'd be cool. I haven't played fifth edition at all. It. Um, I've only. I've played a couple of times now. I've started two different campaigns, actually. and I, I'm digging it so far. It's really, it's very, um, the system itself is user-friendly. The player handbook is not user-friendly at all. In order to actually fully construct your character, you have to go through like 12 chapters of information. Um, yeah, it's it's a little frustrating. I mean, it would be like, so here's how you roll your stats. Now skip ahead to the, chapter four to see what your stats actually do for you. And then you have to come back and then you're skipping forward oh, and you're coming back okay. and skipping forward and coming back. And so, I mean, see, it took, I, it took I, me three hours to build a character that I was happy with. Um, and that's before I, you know, had to pick out spells or anything like wow. that. So see, I was, found myself even in games like that, those, those real intense role player games where, uh, you get like for the Sony or, or, or uh, Xbox where it spends so much time building a character before you get out in the world. I'm like, even in my mindset now, it's like, just, I want to turn it on, shoot some aliens, finish the campaign, turn it off. Well, actually, the the handbook has has, uh, suggestions for quick build characters. So you do have that option. Like, say you want to play a standard ranger. It'll say, okay, uh, pick these skills, take... um, you know, take these uh, things for your equipment and it'll give you, you know, very quick hits and you, you can be playing in, I don't know, half an hour, 40 minutes, maybe that's, that's not how I roll pun intended. I like to, yeah, I like to, you know, really make it personal and cause you're going to be that, I guess it comes from being an actor, right. And having to do a little bit of soul searching and, um, background work to, flesh out your character. I, I like that part of the, the experience. So cool. I enjoy did you, it. 
Now, I know a lot of people who are sort of where, where their personal Venn diagrams involve acting and role playing. Sometimes LARP comes out in the middle. Is that anything that you ever tried? Live action role playing? You know, I did never with D and D though. We did, um, there was some white wolf games. Um, there was vampire and mage and. Yeah, they were all like, they were all based around sort of like monsters and, uh, yeah. like vampires and werewolves and stuff. That's right. Um, so I, I did a little bit of LARPing, uh, with vampire in, oh gosh, must have been my last year of high school. Um, which usually just degenerated into drinking and makeouts, um, in Halloween costumes. How did I miss out on this stuff? <laughs> I was having all with drink, Aaron drinking in his living room. That was that was the extent of. It, oh no, girls in slutty vampire costumes. It was great. We missed out on. God, there, I, man, there. It was in the late '90s. It was a huge phenomenon. Um, the company that made these games, White Wolf Studios, was sort of a breakout uh, success story, and their their live action role play really set them apart. From D and D, there were tabletop versions of yep. all the games. Like yep. I played those, and they they were really, they were there was good stuff and bad stuff about them systemically, and the worlds that they presented were fascinating, like really really interesting. Like it encouraged you to sort of rather than uh, projecting an entirely fantastic kind of world, it sort of invited you to take the world around you and goth it up, kinda. Yeah, it's true. You could put it into basically everyday settings, right? Yeah. And uh, that comes from the LARP aspect of it, right? Like, so you'd be actually, you'd be at the location, I suppose, of wherever you were LARPing. And that location isn't like a pretend castle in some fantasy land. You are where you are. No, you're in the cemetery next to the church across the house from your cousin's place. Yeah. You know. Except the church was owned by an evil vampire in the 14th century, and they hid all sorts of artifacts inside, and now we dance and talk and roleplay until stuff happens involving them. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, it, it was cool. I don't... It's, um... If you look on YouTube, there are, like, LARPing and cosplay seem to have met, and it seems like a lot of the LARP now is very, like... You know, like Lord of the Rings level costumes and that level of attention to detail. But that being said, I don't know how, I don't know if it is as big a deal on the LARP side as it, as it was back in the day. Which, the cosplay or the, uh... Um, in terms of people sort of putting on their, uh, how'd you put it, their slutty Halloween costumes? Yeah, well, I mean, I guess it depends on who you're playing with and, and where Ultra you're playing, goal right? Is. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> oh, suddenly the, the, the term squad goals takes on a horrifying connotation. <laughs> That's really frightening. Yeah. No, it's funny. It, uh, I should, there, there was a, there's like a comic book from that era called a dork tower. Dork tower. Um, yeah. And it sort of, it, it was sort of a, um, a bit of a sort of like a monthly lampoon for like D and D nerds. Oh, is but that along the same lines as Knights of the Dinner Table? Yeah, yeah, it's by John Krovalik Krov or whatever. Um, but I, I should lend it to both of you. Brenna, I think you would especially enjoy it. But there's a um, there's a one storyline in it where the core group of characters, who are mainly D&D &D players, go to a LARP. Mm -hmm. 
and the it, it's hysterical the culture class and the like the the geek elitism of like there's not even any dice like <laughs> it oh it's fantastic you guys would like it a lot it's a lot funnier than I'm being um okay I'll have I to take you. a look at it yeah yeah I don't know I I feel like White Wolf I remember. Around D and D three point five, White Wolf tried to like relaunch their line, kind of like they sort of they ended all of their various sort of all their various RPGs. They had like a bit of a shared universe thing going on, where if you stayed current on all the new role playing books and all the new adventure modules, whether you were doing LARP or tabletop, they would you could sort of slot your game into this larger unfolding narrative, which involved naturally like the end of the world and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after the world ended, like they ended the storyline, they rebooted all of the games and sort of started over. But um, I don't know. I don't know that it was as successful as those old games. I don't really remember hearing too much about it after that, actually. Yeah, it's funny. If I'd been working on this compass five years ago, um, White Wolf versus TSR probably would have been one of the... Yeah, that would have been legit. Oh, man, who am I kidding? That's like a decade ago. At least. Yeah. Well, for the really serious, really serious geeks. Yeah, that's funny. I Did you guys read this? Um, The author of Watchmen, um, Alan Moore, was interviewed recently Mm -hmm. in a Vulture magazine, I think. And he was talking about how um, he's retiring from comic books. Like he's finishing his last round of whatever it is he's working on. He's got 20 he's done. pages of comics, and then that's it. Allegedly. Yeah. Um, and in this interview, he basically he sort of took fandom to task for holding on to the what are basically like childish characters and ideas for so long. Yeah, but and it's those children that paid his bills for the last how many years? Well, he's been kind of, oh, there's the jelly scene. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, okay. Lost teams. <laughs> I'm going to start watching Enterprise again. Right? That's, um, yeah. Um, so I just kind of filtered through the uh, the first episode there, and it kind of, sorry to... Do they do Pon Far in the first season, or do you got to wait for that? I have no idea. Right now it's just, uh, let's just say the jelly must be cold. Sorry, you were saying, what, what were we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Never mind, I, I think know. you just refuted Alan Moore fairly, no. fairly effectively. <laughs> Alan, Alan, uh, Alan Moore, I mean, he, the guy's done some great things, but he just holds the industry in such contempt. You know, that, that anybody would interpret his stuff anything different than what he intended. Um, I mean, he's, he's got some reasons, especially with the way people have handled his his materials afterwards, but he's just, he he seems like one of those guys. It's just like, I'm in the industry, but I don't want to be in the industry and I don't want to be around fans. And I, I just like, I'm doing my stuff. Leave me alone. That was the impression I always got from Alan Moore. You know, it's like, well, they're going to do Watchmen. I, nobody can do Watchmen. Nobody can do a Watchmen movie. Well, it's a shot by shot remake. Well, what's the purpose of doing that? Um, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. He's he's doing that, and I mean, oh, yeah. I can see why he'd be. I can see why he'd be cross about that. That was yeah. a terrible movie. And the comics are so so good. 
Well, and, and, and that's just it. I mean, he's he, but he just like anything anybody ever does, whether it was his his, his stuff. It's just like you know, he wants to make it, and he wants to kind of everybody just fawn over it, and 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 that that's it. But uh, you know, you can appreciate a guy that just says, "Listen, I'm I'm coming to the end. I'm retiring. That's it. I'm done. I'm walking away. I'm doing something else." There was a, there was an artist that did that. One of the uh, one of those type they, they had done to a certain point and then stopped and decided that they were going to take a water painting. Or, um, uh, watercolor. Know, watercolor. Eric Larson. Painting. Eric Larson. Thank you. And he just, um, he was the images publisher for a little while, and his his title was Savage Dragon. Yes, that's right. And I couldn't remember who it was, but yes, he just said, "I'm done. I'm taking up something different." Oh, wait, wait, wait. Sorry, is it Larson or is it Mike? It's Mike Mignola, Hellboy. Hellboy. Okay. Maybe, all right. Yeah, no, he's wrapping. Uh, he wrapped up um, Hellboy in Hell uh, this year, and uh, yeah, he's just he's taken. He's still going to be involved with like the Hellboy properties, like that umbrella. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he's just he wants to ex- he wants to do watercolor, so he's just like I'm not doing any new pencils for a year. Well, and these guys are more. They they always have been. They're more. Um, they're they're artists. As much as you want to say and pigeonhole them into a certain demographic, these guys are great writers or these guys are great artists. They're just like, you know, I'm an artist. I got into it to do something. I've done it. Time to go do something else. You know, it's like like a George Lucas that eventually just says, you know what, I'm going to cut the strings. I'm going to go off and do uh, my 8mm movies and I'll be very happy and, and I don't want to go see another Star Wars movie. I mean, that's legit as long as you're not crapping on the people who afforded you the luxury of going and and chasing these whims now. It's true. That's always a, the risk that, that you face is that uh, you'll, you'll alienate the people that actually gave you the ability to go off and do watercolors or 8mm movies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, Alan Moore has never struck me as someone particularly attentive like- to what people think of him. Yeah, no, he's he was he was one that always to me alienated me as a, as a you know you like listening to certain people talk about Watchmen or what you know whatever uh, whatever topic it was, and then they'd interview him and you're like, man, he's just really unlikable. Doesn't seem like he wants to reach out and embrace the fan base. Well, yeah, potentially. I mean. Let's look at the origins of people who get into comic books, though. I mean, and people who get into D&D, not always the the mainstream socialites, right? That'd be true. Okay, fair enough. There's a reason we gravitate to these things, because maybe we're a little awkward. and <laughs> There's a reason that people like us get, uh, you know, get along with each other so well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cool. And no, Dollhouse is not on Netflix. Sorry, that's that was the initial reason. Look harder. I, I just dialed. It says titles related to Dollhouse, Firefly, Buffy, Angel, Serenity. All of these are good things you should watch. Strange Empire. Strange Empire. Which Strange Empire? <laughs> Lie to me. Anything that was seems to have been on Fox. Don't trust the. Oh, uh, they don't Internet understand us at all. Um. Voyager. Voyager. How is Brooklyn Nine Nine. Uh, now they're just trying to get me to watch everything. 
No, Dollhouse is not there. Oh, that's a bummer. It's it's worth finding. It's fantastic. But I will go back and I will search and try to find it somewhere else. It's got to be on the illegal box that I don't particularly have, but have access to. Alrighty, so we have concluded that Brenna shall teach James to play 5th Ed uh, D&D, and we will be live streaming a game then. Sweet. Putting it on the books right now. That'd be great. Like I, my my buddy Mark is running. Um, he's running like a, a a retro second ed, um, adventure that he's been planning for like half a year. That's amazing. Did, Does he have all the old source books? Yeah, he's main. He's kept his own. Um, and he's um, been slowly rebuilding and completing his collection. Um, on eBay, he Planescape is his main campaign setting. And he spent all worlds that I never ever played in. Oh my gosh, you would love it! It's um, philosophers with a sharp, pointy sticks is the way that the Cook brothers described it. Who the Cook uh, Monty and uh, well, the Cook brothers were the primary authors on it. But it was a setting where the like the ethical and philosophical decisions that your character made mattered. And had, like, repercussions. Um, it was all set in the Outer Plains, um, which were all sort of the embodiments of ideas and philosophies anyway. Mm-hmm. And depending on, you know, if you were like, a, an, oh, I'm only looking out for number one kind of guy. Um, and you ended up in a plane that was all about law and order you'd be having a rough time and there were serious consequences to acting the way that you might not be punished for acting elsewhere. Right. You know, and it, ah, it's so cool. I'm not doing it any justice at all, but, um, you know, you can, if you've got a uh, steam, uh, like Microsoft's game store, kind of, um, I think you can, I think they have the old PC game, uh, Planescape torment. Um, and it really, it captured, the uh the setting very well but uh yeah man when mark gets this thing up and running oh man i'll see if i can find you a seat i think you'd love i think you'd enjoy it a lot sounds good yeah i think so, i need uh, to, i need the training wheels version <laughs> the training wheels version now sometimes you just have to jump in with both feet and if you're playing with experienced people they can help you along okay all right you just you can set it up one night i'll be there um so you know what maybe i'll throw it out to the listeners um what setting or edition of D&D should we start James out in? How shall we inaugurate him into the horrifying world of dice and character sheets and whatnot? Uh, <laughs> well, definitely not Ravenloft. <laughs> That'd be fun. That'd definitely be fun. Um, let us know on our swell website at www.geekswithkids.ca. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash geekswithkids, or you can tweet at us on the Twitters at uh, geekswithkidscn, uh, uh, which means Canadian, because we are a... Um, and that, uh, find us on iTunes and Stitcher, uh, like us, leave glowing comments, um, and I guess, uh, James, pleasure as always. Thank you very much for having me. And Brenna, I hope that was not too onerous or aggravating. It was wonderful, delightful, and inspiring. Oh, well, welcome to the group. 
Oh, fantastic to have you. Thanks so much for coming on. My pleasure. Oh, and on that note, um, that's it. Uh, Majram, everybody. TTFN. Have a good night. And I'm going to stop recording. Bye.